0: All right, welcome. This is episode number sixty one of the Bearded Marketers Podcast, the only internet marketing podcast that matters. I'm Rob and I'm Corey We're bringing you the latest news, issues, topics, whatever life changing events that happen in the internet marketing world every week. You can catch new episodes at thebeardedmarketers.com slash podcast. Of course, you can also find us on iTunes. We've got a great lineup of things to talk about today. You know it better than I think most weeks.
1: Yeah, so a wide range of topics, including um, an interview. Yeah, what, what? we have
0: an interview. <laughs> yeah, that's true with Santiago Jeramello from Bluebridge Digital. We're going to be talking about mobile apps, mobile marketing, all sorts of mobile related things. We've got some other stuff. We'll run down the topics in a minute here, but first, I'm drinking a Moscow Mule Ooh. to bring everybody the latest in internet marketing. What are you doing?
1: I'm actually just doing some Glenfiddich 15 double neat.
0: That's boring. I feel like you've done that four <laughs> episodes in a row. We need something to well, I've been to
1: waiting, waiting for this new scotch package. So hopefully it comes shortly. But let's go ahead and kick us off with our topics. First, as we already mentioned, we got an interview coming up, which we'll get to in a moment. We're also going to be talking about antiquated web design. Is your web design actually getting in the way of you converting your visitors? Next, we're going to roll into some benchmarks for the next 12 months. How are people spending their money? Where are marketing budgets going? So maybe you can change up your marketing strategy if you want to take advantage of that. Going into more of a theoretical discussion, uh, and this will take the place of our normal Google corner, but the recent EU ruling on Google is quite interesting. I think we'll have some good discussions about that. And lastly, customer experience. Where can you find the small and lasting wins in that area? But let's go ahead and kick it off with Santiago. A few weeks ago, I had an interview, sit down a little chat, Fireside,
0: with the CEO of Bluebridge Digital to talk about mobile marketing, mobile apps, and really how all that sort of ties
2: in together. Hey, my name is Santiago Durville, and I am CEO of Bluebridge Digital. Started it about three years ago and, and have got a great story of of kind of growing the company to about 15 full-time folks now, about 20 total here in, in Fishers, Indiana. And we love helping businesses create really compelling, beautiful, engaging mobile apps.
0: And one of the first things we talked about was just sort of laying out what is the difference really between a mobile app and a mobile website? I think a lot of people sometimes even get these terms confused, but also when should I use one when should I?
2: So mobile sites and mobile apps. I think the first thing that's worth discussing is a little bit of the differences. So a mobile site is a website with a URL, www.something, that we access from our mobile browser. So whether it's Safari or Chrome on our smartphones, that's kind of the way we're accessing it. A mobile app is accessed through an app store, and so it's a piece of software that actually gets downloaded onto our phones, and when we touch it and it opens it from there, we're not going to a browser, it's now installed in our device. And so when organizations want to think about, you know, should we have a mobile site and should we have a mobile app, and what is the difference and how should we think about that decision? You know, we, we say that mobile sites are about getting to information and mobile apps are for engagement. And so what I mean by that is that, Someone is probably very unlikely to download an app for the purposes of getting a phone number or getting an address. But when they want to access content again and again and again, they prefer mobile apps for engagement.
0: Another thing that we touched on, which I think is really important with mobile marketing and advertising in general, is simplification and how do you really distill down all of the things that you have on a complex website like most people have these days to make it easy enough to use for your mobile users without getting rid of features that people expect and want to use on your website?
2: So mobile design and the strategy feeding mobile websites or responsive websites is interesting to think about because it's really an exercise in simplification and only using the essential things that you want it to communicate. So what I mean by that is smartphones and tablets have such less real estate than uh, desktops and laptops do. And so as marketers designing mobile sites and mobile responsive sites, we're continually having to ask ourselves the question of what is truly essential and what do I need to include? Because I think we've lived in a world for the past 15 years where the web is about being comprehensive. We want to make a website that has every single piece of content that we could ever, that a prospect or or someone coming to our site or an audience, a member or fan wants to be able to know. In mobile, we have to make some tough decisions around what do we include and what do we leave out because if we try and include absolutely everything, you end up with a really diluted experience that doesn't really do anything for anyone that tries to kind of hit on all levels and misses on all. And so I think one thing that's been interesting for us to force ourselves to think about is What is truly essential for the customer, for the user that's using this? What are the things that they most use? And a lot of times you can get that through analytics. What buttons are they clicking? Where are they going to on your site? And even looking at deeply at your mobile analytics, what are people doing when they're using your website now on mobile devices and a lot of times that data can lead you in really good and insightful decisions on what to include in your mobile site and what to include in your responsive site. But I think one of the worst strategies that we see out there is companies and organizations trying to fit absolutely everything that's on their website on their mobile site and their mobile app.
0: And then finally we talked about push notifications. And how that could potentially work as a channel for marketing for not necessarily just maybe even retail front stores who could obviously take advantage of that, but how how could other types of businesses take advantage of push notifications and what are their benefits over, say, email marketing?
2: Push notifications, in my opinion, are the single most underrated messaging communication channel out there. So I come from the world of Exact Target of email marketing and interactive communications. And as part of Exact Target, we got really good about helping organizations and businesses connect with their audiences through email. And then we added social. And then the Exact Target added some other channels and services. Push notifications that actually came about around the time when I left Exact Target and started BlueBridge, and I was so excited because we finally had a communication channel that had several valuable factors that I think any type of messaging communication channel for it to be successful has to have. And so, a couple of things that are very interesting about push notifications is that they're truly real time. So when we talk about real time messaging, that's the ability for a business to send a message and for the user to see that message in real time. And so obviously email is that, but with email you have the inbox saturation now. We get so many emails that we're not checking it all of the time. So with push notifications, you're actually able to have it real time. When you send a push notification out to an app user of your app, that push notification comes up to the top of their screen, and they're forced to take some sort of action on it. They either say, okay, and it opens up the app and takes them to the content within or they say cancel and that they choose to disengage from that from that message. And so I think that that push notifications being real time is a really valuable factor in marketers and organizations being able to communicate effectively. The second thing it has a very good opt-in control. And so with any app that you download that wants to be able to send you a user or consumer push notifications, that user must expressly grant when you download an app for the first time it usually asks you hey, can we use your location in this app? And you say, okay, or not. And it typically also asks you, can we send you push notifications, yes or no? And then you have access through settings to say, you know, I want to receive or not receive push notifications. So push notifications have, are great. They have real-time messaging capabilities. They have a great opt-in process, which means that consumers will eventually trust it because they know that at any point they can turn it off and stop receiving messages. And the other exciting part is that they're also very personalized.
0: So I think those are some really interesting takeaways for mobile marketing, mobile websites, and apps. Thanks again to Santiago Jaramillo of BlueBridge Digital for sitting down and talking with me about the latest trends in mobile apps. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) Let's move right into it. What's next on the list?
1: So the next topic I really wanted to cover, which is something that's pretty close to my heart, because I'm a lover of design, is really taking the time as a marketer to assess if your website design is actually getting in the way of your conversions and i find that for a lot of marketers and people that work in this space oftentimes the trend is to do really small changes i mean it's easier to do things that way you know let's make some small tweaks to our pages let's test some things radically changing things up is a big deal has to go through how many committees and you have to get so many people signed off on things and it's a big undertaking for a company or even a department to go through radical redesigns, but feel that not a lot of companies think of their websites and designs as a fluid state, something that is always dynamic. And I think that we run into that with partners quite a bit where we are always having to work within this very static framework And many times that hasn't really changed in a very long time. The issue that that presents is your competitive landscape is not static. There's always new entrances coming in. Your old competitors are always shaking things up and things like that. And I think we as consumers online have come to expect a different and a higher level of design and visual appeal. Technology, number one, is getting better and better so we can do more trick things but also the way in which we render the web is getting better and better. The monitors that we use, the devices that we use, things like that. I think that not a lot of people necessarily look at their design as something that should always be kind of evolving with time. And that takes a significant commitment from an IT team and a design perspective to keep it in in a sense like that. And you won't have all these home runs, but I did want to start the conversation of looking at your web design as something that should never be static and always be changing.
0: Yeah, I think a lot of that has to do with just some of the older companies that have been on the web for so long are still sort of rolling their initial presence, like how mm-hmm. they like their website they rolled out in 2000 and how old's the internet? I don't know. I don't know. Like <laughs> let's let's just say like five years ago, a lot of companies are still rolling that same design because I guess it still works, right? Mm-hmm. And it's kind of a chore to overhaul that stuff. Everything else though has changed. Obviously, the marketing has had to change. The messaging has changed. The products, even they sell, oftentimes have changed. But the website itself is still the same old, ugly, you know, 2008 <laughs> right. version.
1: Right.
0: I think you're right. It, it's something that just because that works in the real world with a lot of other companies that don't have to update their brand image or their storefronts or things like that, they can keep them for a long time. That's not the case online. Uh, the agility you have to have online is just so much greater. Because you have new companies rolling out all the time. Yeah, the barriers to entry. And and they start way, you know, light years ahead of you in terms of design and, and everything else. So you have to constantly be changing your online image to keep up with what everyone else is doing.
1: Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I think you made a good point too as well that a lot of these old companies that we might look to be pinnacles online, people like Amazon, if we were to look at that design trying to, from a non-biased standpoint, think comparing this to other sites that might be in that space, it is a very old looking site. And I think that a lot of people use that as an excuse. Well, some of these very successful brands online have these really old designs and that might work for them. But who's to say that one, that they couldn't take it one step farther and we shouldn't necessarily use that as a crutch. I think you made a good point there that sometimes there are some very successful poor examples of design out there, but that doesn't necessarily mean that we need to fall back on that.
0: Or or that doesn't necessarily mean that they're not trying to move beyond that at the same time mm-hmm. too. Look, so for example, with Amazon, I mean, I'm sure to overhaul their websites look, I mean, that is a massive feat. Sure. We talked about them last week on the podcast, how huge they are compared to everyone else. Mm-hmm. I'm sure it's a massive undertaking to overhaul everything. And I'm sure that they've got higher-ups in that company who have wanted to overhaul everything for a long time. Sure, It's just so expensive and time-consuming to do so.
1: Again, I would challenge marketers this week to really take a look at your web design, potentially do some user studies. I mean, there's some tools out there like usertesting.com or things like that where you can get user-generated feedback and really... Be critical about your design and try to assess if that is actually getting in the way of us getting conversions. I think that this is very applicable, too. If you're selling a technology-forward service or a product, it doesn't make sense that you would have a very antiquated design. Or again, if your space and your competitors have gone to a much more forward website with how much people competitive shop these days, that might be artificially setting the expectation of your consumers higher than what you're able to deliver. Even before you start critically looking at your PPC ads or your marketing efforts, it might be just the entire experience that starts you out on a lower rung than your competitors. So really be thinking about that this week. Again, like Rob was saying, it can be a massive undertaking, but if it is costing you conversions, that's also money in the bank somewhere else that you're losing out on. So, my main man with the benchmarks and the reports. And okay. studies and, and charts numbers, and numbers.
0: I love me some numbers. <laughs> so, um, what do we got this week? I don't particularly usually like to mention benchmarks in general because I think what most people are doing online is often not what I should be doing online, shit, but I think say. it's, yeah, that's one way <laughs> to put it. I think it's still important to sort of have a feel for what everyone else is doing. I just want to spend a few minutes and, and talk about some of the latest trends, where people are spending their budgets online, how people are anticipating that those spends may change or refocus over the next 12 months. This is a report from eConsultancy who throws out obviously tons of benchmarks all the time. The first one I wanted to talk about was, surprisingly, they don't have stats on this prior to the next 12 months. but So they're looking at how agile, I guess, would you say your digital marketing budgets are. So, for example, 13% say their budgets are rigidly split by channel. So I have a paid search budget, and that's it. And I have an SEO budget, and I can't move those monies around. Mm. Uh, 43% say, yes, they have some rigidity there, but they're flexible on certain outstanding positions. But 44% say they can spend their money however they see fit. It's not broken down by channels. I think the point that they're trying to get across here is that the move is towards that agility. It's towards the ability to go, look, paid search may have worked for us for three years or five years, or whatever it is, but now all of a sudden there's a ton of competition and we can't do it there anymore. Right. Or it's just expensive. we found, holy, I mean, we can buy tons of traffic on Facebook. This is really working for us. We mm. need to focus all of our marketing dollars here, now. Right. Uh, the ability to have that agility is so important these days with marketing, and because there are so many different ad channels, so it sort of points to that. Move, even with large companies, towards the ability to switch up your marketing budgets, which hasn't been the case in the past. The other thing I wanted to talk about was how people are spending their money across some of these channels and how they anticipate some of that money changing over the next 12 months. Number one on the list that people think their budgets will be increasing for over the next 12 months, something that we do, <laughs> conversion rate optimization. Uh-huh. Uh, 60% say that their budgets will be increasing in that channel Good to hear. slash industry. Good to hear. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Hit us up. 58% paid search, 55% SEO, at the bottom of this list, though, 39% with analytics. And that's because 59% think it's virtually going to stay the same. So more people than not saying, you know, basically we've built out our analytics platforms and I don't see how or why we would potentially spend more money in that department. Mm-hmm. Display advertising, sort of the same there. Half and half people are like, look, we've already sort of Went figured this road. out. Yeah, this we're not spending more money in that region. But conversion rate optimization is the standout across those channels. People figuring out that people like us, yeah, we can help you. Uh,
1: Well, you know, also from a company standpoint, that's important information to know that other businesses are going to be investing in testing and optimizing their websites. So if you haven't dedicated your own resources to it, uh, that just might put you at more of a disadvantage. One thing that I thought was interesting with analytics is I think one of the newer frontiers that just in my experience, companies I feel like are still struggling to grasp is mobile analytics and how do companies look at cross-device and platform usage, particularly with mobile apps, mobile sites, and desktop sites, and how to holistically treat all that. I would be interested to know if maybe they ask a more targeted question if that percentage might be a little bit different, or maybe Mm -hmm. some companies accept that's something completely different. We don't really know how to tackle that, and that's okay. You know, those mobile app people, they're weirdos, and <laughs> we don't know how to track them well, and that's okay.
0: Well, sort of in that same vein, the last thing I wanted to touch on was the percentage of people who felt they had a good grasp of
1: their uh, analytics. So mm-hmm.
0: that was just the budget, right? So people's budgets, uh, they don't think they'll be increasing their budgets for analytics. That doesn't necessarily mean that they're confident mm-hmm. or they feel great about the amount of analytics they're getting. It seems like for companies, and we can talk about agencies later, but for companies, 64% are people... Uh, do not have what they are putting in quotes here as a definitive tracking solution to measure consistently across different digital channels. Sweet. So, yeah, in my mind, that means that, you know, we're still not, you know, Google Analytics, while that may have been great three years ago, mm-hmm. uh, I, now I don't know how my SEO traffic is performing. We've I've lost that. Right. Now mobile's become huge, like you were just speaking to. People are using multiple devices. I'm having trouble tying all of this sort of stuff together. So while budgets seem to be, decreasing relative to every other channel for analytics it seems like people are still not quite happy with exactly Mm -hmm. what they're getting in terms of the analytics platforms that are out there so
1: moving right along so an interesting topic i don't think we'll have to spend too much time on it but last week we saw a big decision come down from the eu's highest court on google and basically what it revolved around was this concept that they centered this judgment around And that people have a right to be forgotten. That's an air quotes. No, they do not. (laughs) Next question. Never forget. (laughs) And basically, the long story made short, EU court basically instructed Google and all search engines that they'd have to have processes in place to where people can actually request information and links about them to be removed. Now, the couple caveats there, there is a statement that the court made that Links should not be removed if it's pertinent information for the general good of the public, which is a very vague statement. Just because you request to have links removed does not mean it will always be approved. So the search engines are not obligated to 100% always respect your removal requests. There is an appeals process in place that they haven't set up yet where you will actually go to a judicial process in the EU to have your rejection reviewed. But I thought that this was an interesting case for Google. They were extremely disappointed in it, and they voiced it with quite a bit of comments. Taking a step back, I do have some mixed feelings about it. I mean, I think that as a society, I think that we have lost something in the fact that once something is online, it's always online. And even things like crime and punishment have now been changed. You'll know, you make a mistake in your life, and that's around forever. It's just right. a one search away. At the same time, this case does set an interesting precedent in that if people start doing link removal requests, then what's kind of left of the internet well, or search engines? Right. I mean, I,
0: I hate to use the sort of the slippery slope, but where does it end in terms of, okay, now me as a company, now can I mm-hmm. start saying, well, you can't disparage my company online. Right. I want those things removed. Right. You know, I want to remove negative reviews about me. Or... How do you prove that I'm the Corey Trent or Rob Renard mm-hmm. that I'm trying to get things removed from? Maybe I want when someone Google's my name, me to show up. So I'm going to remove all those other people's information. Right. How do you start start mm-hmm. to police some of this and really get to the heart of? I mean, I understand that the ruling is trying to solve a problem. Sure, I understand that completely. I just don't know how. I don't know the, how this is going to make it better or how on a large scale model that this actually works and, and accomplishes what it's set out to accomplish. Yeah, and
1: even just the, what is the capital investment that Google and search engines will have to make to even try to facilitate right. this, just to deal with all those removal requests? Well, and
0: one more thing before we move on, I mean, I you know, we talked about this a little bit before the show, is that... In no other medium is this possible. No. Right? I mean, if, if I'm written about in the newspaper, I can't go about around and say, okay, well, you have to remove all those newspapers from sure. the archives. Or if <laughs> I'm written about in a book, I can't tell every library, you have to get rid of go to that book and rip that page out. Oh, I don't right. want that in there anymore. You know? You can't do that with any other medium. What makes Google special and different? I think Part of it is just because it's such a new medium, and there are some people who truly did get a bad rap. Sure. There are some sites out there that do things I don't think agree with, you know, like sites that list people's criminal past and things Mm -hmm. like that. But whatever, I don't know. It's a complex problem. Yeah, it's Uh, definitely worth mentioning. Yeah, it's definitely something
1: to keep. And we'll have to see if that carries over to the U.S. or what is next step for that case. But if you haven't, definitely read up. It's an interesting court case. That's kind of my ex-legal background coming into play. But it is a very fascinating case with some interesting implications with just search engines in general over there in the EU. (laughs) The last thing I wanted to cover, this will be extremely short, this is kind of a more takeaway for the week, Breathe in, breathe out. Think about this. Meditate. (laughs) Aum on this. I was reading a blog post in Six Pixels of Separation. I thought it was an on-point article. And basically, the gist of it was this guy, the the author, was talking about he had this horrible experience at a car dealership. He went in to get his winter tires removed, summer tires put on. We don't have to worry about that in Florida, in your face. (laughs) But basically, it was a terrible experience for him. He went in. Early in, in the morning, and it just kept getting later and later in the day. He ended up having to miss all of his morning meetings because this car point was taking so long for what he thought was going to be a short experience. And basically, the takeaway he had of it was what the whole situation lacked was just communication to the customer and just having a better customer experience. And one of the examples that he gave of finding customer experience wins is with the recent rollout in Chipotle restaurants of having short stories and small articles on their cups and bags and things like that. And, you know, he talked about while that might be gimmicky to some, it's those small little things that actually do make a difference. You know, I, I don't know if you remember when we were younger, like reading the back of cereal boxes. That was like a cool thing to do where you get like the toys or the inside puzzles it. Oh the back come of those.
0: on those. were the jam.
1: And, and it's those small little things in the process that, that do set your company apart. And I can think of another example More on the online space, if you order something from Piper Lime, you know, I like my shoes. So if you order a pair of shoes or whatever from them, one of the neat things that they do, it seems super trivial, but it is nice, is when you get the package, your contents will actually be nicely tissue-wrapped, and there'll be like a nice embossed sticker on top of it. And then I believe the receipt is in this nice little heavy-weighted envelope that looks really on point. And again, as marketers, we have to find those small wins in the customer experience because that's what makes the big difference. I mean, it's those small little things that get people talking, gets people cracking that smile, maybe when they had a bad day. Not only are they excited because a UPS man slash Santa Claus came by and dropped off their package, but now they have just that nice little extra when they're interacting with your brand. It becomes something that is memorable. So as a company, think where you can find those small little wins and when you can enhance the customer experience because it is a big difference maker.
0: Yeah, I I mean, I think I love companies when they do those small little things. They tend to be the more expensive companies, though. You know, and it applies online and offline. I think, though, in that guy's example about getting his tires changed, I think part of that may just be that the internet has sort of ruined us.
1: (laughs) True.
0: um, In terms of we expect to know exactly what's going on with everything. Mm -hmm. We expect to have a tracking number and know where 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 my package is. Mm -hmm. Like it was put on a truck two hours ago. I need to know that. Um, I need everything now. I have a phone. I'm important. I have a lot of things going on. I'm not to say like that he didn't actually get hosed Mm. and that it should have been something that's like 30 minutes. But I think part of that is just our culture has changed and we expect things more quickly. So us as marketers, how do we help fulfill some of those desires and needs for people? We have to keep up with what's changing and make sure that people are aware you know like i was mentioning tracking numbers really quick before we end this episode a lot of companies still don't do that very well i need to know what's going on with my my Terrible. order because i can just go to amazon and i know exactly what's going on at sure. every second of every day <laughs> with every with the 30 things i just ordered today uh, a lot of companies still don't do that very well so
1: find those small wins and i think you will become a differentiator in your industry that's going to do it for us on episode number 61 Thank you for your time. If you enjoyed yourself like we did, leave us a rating on iTunes. It would be greatly appreciated. Or share with a friend or colleague or do both. And you can also leave us a message on our telephone hotline, 904-270-9603. Have a topic for the show, a recommendation, or maybe you want to be on the show like Santiago. Give us a ring there or you can drop us a line at thebeardmarketers.com. We'd love to hear from you. And anytime that we've gotten a request, we usually put it up on the very next I drop everything
0: I'm doing. <laughs> and I research it immediately. If I don't know the answer and we cover it on the next one.
1: Yeah. So we'd love to hear from you all again. That's going to do it for us. Thank you so much. And we'll see you next week.